Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the host of Compound Interests, John Najarian. And on today's show, we had the founder and CEO of Grit Capital up in Toronto. That person would be Genevieve Rock Dector. And uh, she is a very interesting person. Her company, Grit Capital, pivoted pretty dramatically during the pandemic um, to go from investor relations over into media and still writes very thoughtfully about uh, SPACs, about cannabis, and about a host of other um, interesting sectors and or topics. But I think you're really going to enjoy the discussion we had about millennials in particular. Please give it a listen. This is Genevieve Rock-Dector. Genevieve, welcome to the show. Yeah, pleasure to be here. A little bit of a dream come true for me. I've watched NBC for years, so this is is great. Fired up. I've seen you interviewed on a host of media, so this is nothing new for Genevieve, folks. Um, And uh, I think some of you will be aware of seeing her on BNN, Bloomberg, and so forth. Um, But you also may not have heard that her company, Grit Capital, um, she is the founder, uh, and Grit has uh, basically pivoted, like many of us have, during the pandemic. So if it's not too tough, I'd love to hear about how that pivot came about, Genevieve, because a lot of the people listening are people that are entrepreneurs that have had to similarly deal with a big change that came about in 2020. So please tell us a little bit about your experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, It's been a year of reinvention, and but it's been quite exciting because in the stock market specifically, as we all know, it's been one of the most insane bull markets that uh, that we've ever seen. I, I mean, in my 15-year career, I saw kind of a similar thing off the bottom in 08, but I didn't know as much as I do now in terms of what's going on. But yeah, so Great Capital essentially started about five years ago. And I had been a portfolio manager for about a decade, investing in small cap security, speculative security. So I I really was all about high risk for about a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that there was always something missing. I would meet with management teams, invest in companies, invest in deals, but I always thought there's a human element here that I don't know about when it comes to companies and investing. I need to get on the inside somehow, right? Because these management teams come and see you with these perfect decks and these perfect estimates, and that hardly ever comes to fruition. So I launched with my uh, my best friend, a company called Grit Capital, five years ago to essentially go on the inside, be consultants, understand what was going on in these small cap companies. Um, but to get paid on the way through, we became what, what's known as investor relations. So introducing the company to investors, whether that's hedge funds, institutions, investment advisors, high net worth individuals. So we'd be, build these roadshows. So we were flying around everywhere. Um, you know, I'd be in New York one week, Miami another week, uh, Barbados, Europe, like it, it was nuts. It was it was really crazy. <laughs> and then COVID hit and all that came, all that fun came to a stop. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously we could have pivoted to a Zoom model, 
But a lot of what goes down in sort of the marketing of companies is more of the outside the office stuff, you know, the conferences, the in-person interaction. It doesn't really, it doesn't really transcribe nicely over to Zoom. And so I pivoted the company. My, my business partner and I went separate ways. She went on to form a pet food company, which was our passion. And I took about, I guess, the better part of almost nine months rethinking the business model. And here we are. Grit Capital is a financial media business now. And we are looking to talk about cutting edge topics, themes, whether that's you know crypto, SPACs, uh, NFTs, commodities, but we want to do it in such a way that the new era of investors, retail, millennials, Gen Z, they digest the information. So that's on social media. You know, we're on TikTok. We're, you know, big on Twitter, Instagram, and we're making videos and we're saying things like, hey, this company is going public. Here are five things you need to know about it. Right. Like quick, quick, quick bites. So that's right. where we are today. Well, and Genevieve, uh, I did something very, very similar because in 2017, I was traveling the world, 2017, 2018, I probably was in Monaco 10 times. Um, Milan, um, Zurich, Geneva, London, those were our main cities that we would hit, doing exactly what you were doing in addition to what I do. So in other words, I'd spend a week at CNBC and working with our team here in Chicago or New York, and then I'd go on the road. And at that time, we were really helping promote Bitcoin, Bitcoin adoption, um, get family offices involved overseas and so forth, um, and get some of the new, what was at that time anyway, somewhat new um, projects on Ethereum launched and uh, funded. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I know that on Zoom, people can think you're smart, um, that you're giving them great information, but it's not the same as if you're face-to-face -face with them at a dinner table after a presentation and they can keep asking you questions that they didn't want to ask over a 600-person Zoom or in an auditorium with, you know, two or 300 um, investment bankers or family office or whatever. Um, so I get it 100%, but I'm just really uh, uh, delighted for you that you did make that pivot and that you now have built grit into this uh, financial powerhouse, this media company for fintech or for finance. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Like talking about this whole kind of, you know, where the real conversations happen on, on these deals and these investments is sort of like, yeah, the cocktail party or, you know, being, being at, being at a bar and just being one-on-one -on -one and, and, and discussing all the things you wouldn't want to say in front of a, a big audience. But what's happened now during COVID is, you know, there's been this kind of explosion of, I would call like a digital cocktail party where the conversation is being brought online and this whole new era of retail investors, whether that's, you know, the Wall Street bets, um, whether that's the whole generation of Robinhood investors on, you know, various forums, social media, media, whatever. Sorry. Um, that's my, my phone. I can't believe I still have a <laughs> home right. phone. <laughs> and I call myself a millennial. <laughs> Anyways, we're not going to pick that up. But um, yeah, I mean. to me all the time, too. <laughs> This whole cohort of new investors is 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 dying to get an edge, but but more than that, they're actually providing insight and you know 
providing an edge to other investors on sort of a crowdsourced model, right? Like people are finding information all parts of the internet or all parts of conversations and they're they're bringing in and I'm not talking about material non-public information I'm talking about insights into material uh sorry non-material public information or material public information um but yeah I think it's fa it's fascinating and I'm just super excited to be right in the middle of this action now right well um we had uh you know the guy that's the former chief marketing officer over at Facebook obviously did extremely well, Chamath Palapatiya. Um, and Chamath was on with us and we were talking together about uh, uh, Reddit and how, you know, I, I think a lot of people really uh, give millennials the short shrift, meaning that they, they really don't give them credit for how creative they are. I work with a lot of millennials. Calvin, who's producing this show, um, is one of them. Um, and the millennials know how to get to the internet um, and find, oh, you don't know how, how to fix your camera, John, for your Zoom calls. There's probably a YouTube video. Let me look it up or whatever. There's so much information on the internet. Um, and as Chamath said, you know, that was a great equalizer, democratization even of trading, because you could go on and see um, something about cannabis stocks that Genevieve was talking about. And she said, here's the five things you need to know about this cannabis company. And you could find that if you just had a little um, drive to go looking for it. And I think a lot of people, like I say, don't give millennials full credit and think that they are just these apes that they call themselves. That's not me. But on Reddit, folks, they call themselves apes because their apes are just going to, you know, march all into Bitcoin or march all into Doge or GameStop or AMC. And they're just going to sit there and, and, and fight and all this kind of stuff. And they're smarter than that. I think the investors on Reddit, some of them um, do get carved up, but there's a lot of really smart investors on Reddit um, and they're thoughtful. They put on positions and they use leverage, uh, a lot of them. Um, use leverage, you know, some, it's like fires, Genevieve, I'm sure you know, she, folks, she used to manage a hundred million dollar portfolio. So chances are uh, anybody that's run that kind of money knows a thing or two about derivatives, knows how to mitigate some of the risk of derivatives, um, because you can cook with fire or fire can burn you. And using it to cook with is fabulous. And that's what I think a lot of people that I see on Reddit doing when they trade GameStop or AMC or whatever, Genevieve, um, I see them doing it correctly and an awful lot of them doing it stupidly. Like how many times have I seen them buying the 800 calls with three days to go in the stock trading 200 in GameStop? <laughs> I've seen it a lot. Those right. aren't the sophisticated investors. Um, no. But then I see a lot of call spreads calendar spreads, all the other kind of things that you probably did when you were a portfolio manager. Yeah, I mean, I think it's dangerous when, and the media is guilty of this all the time, to sort of categorize the investors, all the retail investors under one description, you know, like dumb money, unsophisticated money, but that really does a disservice to the entire industry and is not really getting to the core of the issue. There's a massive spectrum. Yeah, there's newbies. 
Yeah, there's people that know a little bit of, inf of information and they're dangerous. Yeah, there's people putting on YOLO options and blowing themselves up. Yeah, cool. But then there's people like, for example, Roaring Kitty from Wall Street Bets. Like, he's got a CFA. I mean, I have a CFA. That's that curriculum is friggin' hard. Like you can't be no dummy to do that. And you know, the pass rates like below 50% globally. So, and, and, you know, Roaring Kitty's putting information out there and he's one of, I'm sure there's tens of thousands of people like him, maybe not with a CFA, but with experience and doing their due diligence. And I think it's also, it's also kind of ironic when I think about research reports um, that you can get on Wall Street, right? The stuff that Goldman Sachs puts out or JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley. Like if you actually look at the open rates on that research and I'm not discounting, by, discounting it by any means because it's created by very smart individuals. Um, they might all think the same ways, but that's another story. Uh, but the open rates on those research reports are like less than 10%. Some of them are less than 5%. Like, you know, even their own clients don't read that stuff. Um, and so I think it speaks to, yeah, there's the quality quality of information, but what I'm also really um, focused on is the communication of that information, right? Like we're in a new era where everyone's super busy. Everyone has ADD. Everybody wants it right now. And there's something to be said about making investment decisions. Sometimes you don't, you, there's a point where you get too much information and you, and you should actually be making a decision on less information. And so understanding where that intersection happens between too much and too little, like that's the sweet spot I want to be in, right? In that, in that middle area. And folks, um, I'm speaking right now with Jean-Viev Roch-Dector, uh, as close as I could get, I guess. Roch-Dector? Yeah, like rock and roll. Yeah. Like rock and roll. Yeah. I love that. And <laughs> you, she is a former portfolio manager, now um, running Grit Capital, and featured on Bloomberg and Vice and a host of other media, um, probably because she's got her finger on the pulse of millennials. And just what you heard her describe about um, some of the investment habits there. Are there sectors? I, I mentioned cannabis. I happen to be a big fan. I'm not a, a vapor or a smoker, but I'm a big fan of the, the medical benefits that people get from it. I have nothing against anybody using it recreationally either. And I'm an investor in a bunch of cannabis companies, um, many of which were up in Canada. Yeah. Um, and now a, a lot of them are listed in the United States as well. Um, but is there a sector like that, like cannabis, that millennials tend to gravitate towards? Um, and is there more than one or two of those that you really focus on? You know, cannabis three years ago, you're completely right up in Canada. There's um stock exchange called the CSC, which is the Canadian stock exchange, but they nicknamed it the cannabis stock exchange because that's literally where all of the cannabis companies went to list. And that exchange made a lot of money and they were doing record deals. And then what's happened now is a lot of those deals are now migrating over to the U.S. exchange slowly but surely. And so, uh, and yeah, it's opening up the audience to a wide range of investors um, because, you know, a lot of people 
you know, they don't like buying Canadian stocks. They don't like buying Canadian listed listed stocks. But the younger investors are. Um, I remember seeing things on, on Robinhood, looking at the top traded stocks on there uh, a few months back when CNBC was actually posting that. I, I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but Jim Cramer was doing it. And a lot of them were, you know, like microcap, small cap, cannabis names um, because they're volatile. They're volatile. And, you know, it is a fun sector. At the end of the day, uh, I think, millennials really want to invest in things they know, right? Like one of my favorite investment books is Peter Lynch's One Up on, One Up on Wall Street. And he talks about, if you want to get in the investment game, invest in themes you know, invest in stuff you do. Like if you're a gamer, invest in gaming stocks because you'll get an mm -hmm. edge, right? Um, if you like cannabis products and you're a user yourself, try a whole bunch of them and figure out what you think uh, could do well in the marketplace and get involved there. If you like crypto because you're sort of anti-establishment maybe, which it, we know it's not just about that anymore, um, maybe get in the cr crypto space. So I think if you you're passionate about something, you'll learn way more about it and you'll create some sort of edge for yourself, I think. Absolutely. Now, outside of digital assets or crypto and cannabis, are there other areas that you really see? I mean, EVs, um, lithium batteries, um, you know, many of these things that you would say people that are focused on a green planet or whatever, are millennials focused in on sectors like that, you're a lot closer to them than I am, Genevieve. Yeah, well, I'm wearing green today for renewables and for, for money. But yeah, no, EVs are for sure. Renewables for sure. Um, I mean, when you've got the biggest asset manager in the world, Blackstone saying that, uh, or sorry, BlackRock saying that they're going to, you know, not invest in petroleum-based companies and sin stocks and all that, and are really looking at the sort of ESG side of things, you got to pay attention, right? So I personally, and I made a video about this, missed the whole Tesla trade. Um, and it's not because I don't love Elon Musk. I, I think he's genius. I have, you know, a giant uh, crush on him, but like both from a business point of view, and I just think he's a cool, cool dude. But yep. the thing is, I'm is right that, you. Uh, you know, for me, I'm an I'm upside downside person. So what's my upside? What's my downside? And when that ratio gets out of whack, I just, I'm going to sit on the sidelines. And that's what happened with Tesla. It got, it got ahead, it got ahead of me. And, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy when it's one of the biggest companies in the world. I'm going to sit back and wait. And, and right when I put that video out, it actually had a pullback. So the timing was just perfect. Coincidence. Coincidences are great in life. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, but yeah, another, another area that I'm looking at is fintech, like digital wallets. I'm actually writing a piece about that this week. I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in that. And, and Kathy Wood, I'm sure you mentioned that you had a talk with her. She, she's written some brilliant things about digital wallets. Yep. You know, I think, I think in the future, all of our value is going to be held in one spot, like our fiat, our crypto, our NFTs, our digital collectibles, our real estate. Like we're going to be able to do everything from the touch of a button and send value back and forth. We're even going to be able to buy a house talking about Chamath and, and I buying from our wallet. That's what I think is going to happen in the future. So that's, that's uh, so yeah, I'm, those are other themes. Um, by the way, folks, again, Genevieve uh, is the founder of Grit Capital. Um, and uh, if you'd like to go to the, uh, and follow her on Instagram, that's the Instagram account, G-R-I-T Capital. Um, you, if you'd also like to go and subscribe, as I have, to her uh, newsletter, her Substack, um, just go to their website, uh, gritcapital.ca, I think, right? Not .com? 
we're, we're changing over um, to .io soon, but right now it's still under the Canadian URL. But I'm told .com is not cool anymore. <laughs> um, it's all about the io.io or .co. So that's what we're <laughs> getting. All right. Um, we're going to give a quick shout to one of the sponsors right now, Jean-Viev, um, and it is eBay. Uh, so uh, they are our newest sponsor, folks. We really appreciate you guys joining us. One of the ways we can keep doing this is um, that you guys give a little, little love occasionally to one of the sponsors like eBay. Um, and you might not know it, but they are the original sneaker marketplace. eBay is the place to go to cop a pair that you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, the logo, the stitching, dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker receives an authenticity guarantee tag that also includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it protects sellers with a verified return process. For sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated all selling fees on sneakers of $100 or more because that's the only kind that Genevieve or John would buy. Um, and that makes it free to flip your entire collection as long as they're $100 or more, you could be in there selling. Uh, go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. So I just had to get squeeze that one in, Jean-Viev. I know that you're ready to jump on to the next topic. No, I actually wanted to talk about this topic because okay. I actually invested money privately in a company that does shoe drops. Mm -hmm. um, and so they have like a Discord group and they're doing millions of dollars in just providing this Discord group to their users' new shoe drops. And uh, kind of like a little bit like, well, StockX is an exchange and buy and selling. This is more like, which companies are dropping exclusive shoes and how to get access and all that stuff. And I don't know, they have bots and everything. I don't know how it all works, but I didn't know eBay was getting in that game. That's interesting. I should tell the CEO about this. Yeah. Well, um, in fact, I have a, a young guy who I work with in New York. He went to school with my daughter to high school, went to NYU. And while he's been going to NYU, he's been running maybe a dozen websites <laughs> um, and he's a great programmer. In high school, he used to have um, 25 computers hooked up to get that first shoe um, because, you know, <laughs> when they released them um, and he's been making money at it ever since. He's a great developer. Um, so, uh, uh, Stephen, if you're watching, thank you very much for all that you do <laughs> for me. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, with, with what's been going on with Grit Capital, um, you've also spoken a lot this year, at least. You've written a lot. You've been quoted a lot about SPACs. Um, and SPACs are, of course, uh, it's a special purpose vehicle, folks. They, it's a, some people call it a blank check company. My friend Tom Keen over at Bloomberg loves to refer to them that way, that it's basically they raise money. And then they have a certain amount of time to spend that money, to invest it. And then if they've made prudent investors, that stock, which gets listed on an exchange like the NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange, perhaps up in Canada on the CSE or whatever, um, those stocks then trade 
um, as a company. And it's an alternative for some of these companies that don't want to go through the IPO process and so forth. They could become part of a SPAC. And next thing you know, the stock's trading 30 days later or whatever. Um, you've written a lot about them. You've talked a lot about them. Let the listeners hear your thoughts about SPACs, Jean-Vierre. So initially, I kind of ignored this space for a while when it first mm -hmm. came out, because for me, up in Canada, we have something very similar. It's the CPC RTO process. So it's very similar model, but smaller numbers. So instead of hundreds of millions being raised, you know, it can be a few million to tens of millions. So I, I'd already been familiar with this process and I didn't think it was that interesting because there's nothing very special about a group of people who raise a bunch of money and go out and look for, for companies. Now, I think what's happened here is a combination of raging bull market and people really wanting access to cool, new age, innovative, late stage VC deals and getting carried away with some of the, I guess, semantics and marketing of these deals and celebrities being involved and big portfolio manager names, you know, the Bill Ackmans of the world, the Chamas and, and, and God love them, God love them. But my thinking on this is that I don't wanna play the card of like, I wanna protect retail, but I kind of sometimes do wanna protect retail a little bit um, because I think the SPAC process, which is one of the things that is very different than an IPO, is with the SPAC process, you're allowed to do to give forward-looking uh, forward uh, statements about financials. You can't do that in an IPO, you can only state um, historicals. So. With SPACs, what I'm being told by a lot of the experts is that the crazier the story, the more wild the story, the more, you know, flying cars, like the more futuristic it is, <laughs> the more it sells in the market. And that's all great. And if you want to play that and you want to invest in that, I'm all for it. But I just kind of, I put out a, a piece called, does your SPAC have a crack? Meaning like, you know, is this, is this market on the valuations going to look a little, it's, is it going to fall off a little bit here if the market pulls back and things come down to earth a little bit and just something to be aware of, you know, I just wanted to flag it. And I did so, and I had a lot of people cheering me on. And then I actually ended up hosting a clubhouse with four, and I should have really thought this through, but I, I hosted a clubhouse with four SPAC experts who were like so bullish on SPACs. I was the only one that was a little bit like warning people about how it's a little dangerous. And I got like disseminated, like I, or I got like just annihilated in there. Um, but I think I got my message across. There was about 500 people listening. So I think I got something in there. Um, but yeah, I'm just a little bit worried, a little bit worried about it. And, you know, this pulled back. The SPAC market's now in a bear market. It's down 22% or over 22% from the all-time high. So right. yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on it, actually? I'd love to hear what, what you think. Well, um, I, I can't say what it is, but I am soon in that space. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and because of the confidentiality that they file under uh, for 30 some odd days, you can't talk about it. Um, so I'll be happy to rejoin you and uh, talk about it uh, 15 days or so from now. Um, but I agree with you. It's, it's the team that has researched. Um, again, if you have some smart people like Genevieve folks um, that have helped you 
you know, toss out some of the bad apples to find the ones that really have potential. Um, I'm going to be doing one in the clean energy space. Um, and I think that it's going to be uh, not as much of a challenge on that one, even though there's people obviously focused on everything from cannabis to fintech to green energy. Um, we have a specific bent to ours and we've got a real all-star board. And I think the, not just the advisory board, but the, uh, the team that is actually helping bring those uh, perhaps investments to us, um, I think they are exceptional. So we'll see, but I, I do agree. Uh, you don't just throw money at people because they're running a SPAC, but as Genevieve said, when it's somebody like Chamath, somebody like Bill Ackman, somebody like Dan Loeb, you know, people that have a history of being able to find value, in some cases, very deep value, um, this lets them do what they do best, investigate, invest, and then, you know, so many days or months later, uh, they have to use up the rest of those funds or send them back to the investors. That's part of the deal, folks, with a SPAC. Um, so if it's somebody who's not a good hunter, um, then they're not going to make any money at this game because they have to return the money. And in fact, it will have cost them money um, just to get the SPAC launched and everything else. Yeah. And, and, you, and you bring up a good point on the team, because I think one of the things that's not discussed enough is you also need a good team to hunt to find the deal, but then you also need a great team to negotiate the deal. So like going back to the valuation thing and value, you know, it, yeah. Are things trading at 20 times revenue today? Yeah. Is that the right multiple? I don't know. We, so smart teams will think forward a year, two years, three years. Where do we want to go out with on a valuation basis so that we make sure that we're not over promising and we're going to be able to deliver on the promise and that we're not accruing too much value now so that the new investors getting in can actually make some money when they get in, right? I always say this to companies when I was doing my investor relations and consulting. I'm like, leave a little money on the table for the other investors. Don't go out of the gate at a full full valuation because who's going to buy you all the way up there, right? Like if, <laughs> if it's so high up, you want to have, um, and I mean valuation and, and stock price, you want to leave a little bit for for investors. Um, actually, a recent IPO that came out that I've just been waiting on the sidelines to get into is Roblox. I'm not sure oh, if you're yeah. familiar with the, the mm -hmm. gaming platform. Yep. Yeah. And I like, I I, it's like, I love, I love the company. I, I wrote a whole thing on it, a whole report on it. I love, I love the company. I just, I hate the stock here. Like I can't, I can't buy it. So I'm just waiting and waiting and that happens folks, right? Like that's, that's a big part of investing is saying no when, you just, it just doesn't make sense to get in. Right. Well, um, DraftKings. DraftKings was an example, folks, of a stock that got, or a company that got bought by a SPAC, um, came out, and, you know, hundreds of percent later, it's still going up. I mean, does it go straight up? No. In fact, this one's pretty volatile. And that's something that perhaps you should expect, uh, I guess, Genevieve, when, when you see a a company that maybe they have a great team and a great idea and they've hit it the right time because clearly DraftKings did. Uh, we didn't know that we'd get locked down in 2020 and states would start massively approving any way they could get revenue like from uh, online gambling. Um, but that has worked in DraftKings' favor. Um, and 
yet maybe parts of the team weren't as mature as they needed to be. And so, you know, you see the stock making, you know, big jumps to the upside and then falling back and then big jumps to the upside and falling back. But it has been progressing at a pretty nice angle. Full disclosure, I'm still long calls in DraftKings. Love the stock. I love pen gaming too, but that's a completely different story because that's casinos, um, not online gaming. It is involved in online gaming with Dave Portnoy and uh, his merry merry band of whatever they are over at Barstool Sports. Um, But uh, it is not, it wasn't brought out in a SPAC um, like DraftKings and so forth. Um, So, but I do own both of those and I love trading those stocks. Yeah, and DraftKings is an excellent <clears throat> success story of, 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 of a SPAC, right? And, you know, I wrote about this too. It's like, it's the right theme, the right time, like you said. It's generating revenue. Because one of the things that I think folks have to really watch out for on the revenue side is, and I've, I've made videos about this, is that when you get into a stock market correction or a sideways market and it's not as hot, if your company not gener- generating revenue and you have to re- continue to raise capital or take on debt to fund your business model, you know, like if you're not to bring up Nikola, but if you're Nikola or something like that, um, you're at the whim of the market. You're at the whim of financing at prices and times that you might not want to. And so those stories and those situations are a little bit harder on both the valuation side and also on the volatility side as you, as you bring up. Um, so with DraftKings, you don't have that problem. Like here's a company that's generating tons of revenue growing, um, like you said, right space, right time. So it's having, you know, there's an outsized market uh, to, to go and grab. Uh, so you could get a step change in sort of the business model over time here. So I, I, I like that theme a lot. I like the, the online gaming uh, gambling space for sure. And the sports betting massive. I do too. Um, as far as Nicola that uh, Jean-Vier brought up, um, that one, if you hadn't looked at it, folks, in 2019, well, 2020 went from 10 bucks to 80 bucks on the deal with uh, General Motors. And whether or not they pushed that truck, their semi, their electric semi down a hill to get it moving. Um, That, of course, broke the stock. They got rid of the founder. Um, General Motors still working with them, but the stock's now back down to 1390 today as of the 25th of March. Uh, That ain't a lot. That's pretty thin gruel for the people that got in anywhere higher than, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30, all the way up to 80. And it's just come crashing back down. So, you know, she's giving you great insight there. Um, If you were to pick the uh, hottest sector you think going for the rest of 2021, what would it be? I'm not putting you on the spot for an individual stock, but would you say infrastructure, housing, um, technology, um, what would you, or would it be after this? Because quite frankly, the pot stocks have made a pretty big correction. And maybe it's that with uh, New York maybe passing legislation, obviously New Jersey and Arizona just did the same with the last election. Um, maybe it's pot stocks. What would be your hot sector if I said nine months from now, Jean-Viev, when we bring you back, what will you want to hang your hat on? What would that be? 
Uh, you are really putting me on the spot. Um, and I'm writing some stuff down here because you got me thinking. Oh, I think a couple areas. I think distressed real estate, like office REITs. And I've talked about that a lot. Um, and I think it would be a great candidate for a SPAC, actually, if you could get some big real estate guys like the Sam Zells of the world um, who know and some big, you know, Brookfield guys involved and just find all of this office space that can be repurposed or even movie theaters that can be repurposed into. Um, actually, one of the things I've invested in recently is like e-commerce warehousing in core city. So like repurposing of old uh, warehouses. And so I think that's that's a that's a major play. Uh, so distressed office real estate. Um, and then the other thing is the reopen the economy trade. I think there's still like airline sector. The airline sector as a whole is still uh, pretty depressed. Um, and so I think that you could see a rebound there. Um, and I think some of it, well, not so much the entertainment stocks, those have had really nice bounces like SeaWorld, for example, is at all time highs recently. I saw that, um, Disney, I'm an investor in Disney. That's had a nice comeback, but yeah, I would, I would do a contrarian play on, on stuff that's really beat up. Um, and so those would be the two areas, distressed real estate and sort of like the reopen the economy stocks. All right. Very cool. And uh, uh, as I told Genevieve before we started the podcast today, folks, um, I was lucky enough to be uh, in with uh, Kevin O'Leary and uh, John Van Eck and Kathy Woods recently as they presented some ideas. And uh, both Genevieve and Kathy Woods um, are obviously women who have succeeded in what many people think is a man's world. Um, and I like to tell people that say that um, the market doesn't care what sex you are, doesn't care what uh, color your skin is. Uh, the market's just the market. And it's question of your buys and sells and how good your timing is and all that. So it's it's a very but I do understand that people need a stake, um, just as I did when I started and Genevieve when she started. Um, you need somebody to believe in you. And that's where perhaps some of those prejudices could come in. And I'm sure that you faced some. I know that Kathy Woods faced some as well. She's talked about it. But the fact now that um, you guys have gotten to a point, each of you, where you're able to um, um, use your expertise and it doesn't matter, um, those other things, I mean, I'm proud of you, happy for you, and uh, delighted for your success that you've had with Grid Capital. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, for sure. It, 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 uh, I have to stop myself sometimes because I say things like guys, like I use guys a lot as a term because guys. yeah, guys. And I'm like, I'm talking to a friend of a girl, a girlfriend of mine, you know? And it's like, when you, when you, I say I was raised by wolves, uh, not on wall street. Cause I'm up in Canada. So Bay street, but yeah, it's a lot of locker room, locker room, talk, locker room behavior, all that stuff. And there's a point where you kind of, 
you know, and I'll admit it, you have to kind of fit in, you kind of have to play, you kind of, you're a bit of a chameleon and you become a little bit like that. And um, that's kind of, you know, where the name of, of grit came from is being gritty is being, you know, really rolling your sleeves up and being one with the boys in a way. Um, but it also speaks to like, I'm, I'm a tomboy by nature. Um, I've got an older brother. I grew up with tons of uh, guys and, you know, it's, it's, it's that whole thing, but it's like, yeah, we're, you know, we're all human beings. We all have feminine energy and masculine energy and it, you know, let's all be allowed to kind of, you know, exude that energy however we we want to. But yeah, there's definitely been some times. And I mean, Kathy's way further along in her career and she's probably a lot more open and able to be open about some of her experiences. And I hope to be one day too. But yeah, I've had some weird stuff happen to me. Um, and I've thought, I've thought through it <laughs> and um, gotten to the other side. And I, I hope to be able to inspire, you know, women and men you know, everybody, it's not just about being a certain sex, but it's about, yeah, carving out a spot for yourself in the ecosystem and, and having a voice and having a point of view and, and not being afraid to, to share it with the world. Beautiful. Jean-Viev, I've enjoyed the conversation a lot. Thank you very much. Uh, folks, I've been speaking with Jean-Viev Rock-Dechter, um, and I'm sure I've screwed that up several times during the program, but nonetheless, uh, all due respect, uh, great job. Um, I wish you continued success. Remember, you can follow her on Instagram, Grit Capital. You can also go to gritcapital.ca for now, gritcapital.io in the future. Um, and you can subscribe to her Substack there. And uh, I did it. And I think you guys will like the way this lady puts words on paper or at least um, on the internet. I didn't, I didn't print it out. I like to read it on the internet rather than killing trees. Yeah. So I didn't print it out. I just read it right off the internet. But thank you very much, Jean-Viev. It's been a treat. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay, you too, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.